This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. One of the most important jobs of the senior leader and executive is actually making crucial decisions. Most often, it's making decisions with very limited information. Now, what I have seen in my work is that executives often fall in a couple different extreme camps. One extreme camp is the executive who's into the analysis paralysis. They take so long trying to gather all the necessary information that really they're paralyzed and the organization is paralyzed. And in fact, the organization is held hostage because they can't make the decision at all. You want to avoid that extreme, obviously. And then, of course, there's the other extreme where it's really more like a ready, fire, aim kind of an approach. So decisions may be made maybe without enough information And in this case, the organization spins into a state of chaos. So there really is that delicate balance between these two extremes and to figure out how are you going to make decisions quickly when information is limited. So here's one of the things I would say about that. First of all, you want to examine what is the best information that you have today. And then number two, you want to make your best decision in good faith with the information that you have available. And then thirdly, remember that most decisions are not permanent and most decisions aren't life and death. There are some exceptions. However, since it's the case that most aren't permanent and most aren't life and death, you can, number three, make adjustments or even change your decision as new information comes in. So you don't have to be able to know the future or read the crystal ball today to figure out what to do. You're making the decision today based on what you know today. And if tomorrow you know something different, then make a different decision at that time. And I have found that this has freed up so many of my um, clients is to think about it in this way rather than to imagine that they have to know the end-all, be-all today for the rest of their lives in the organization. So let's say I decide today that I'm going to do X, and I find out that tomorrow that X has a consequence that I really didn't know about. Well, when tomorrow comes, I can change that decision to something else and avoid that consequence. Now, when I mentioned there are some exceptions, and I'm thinking about uh, the example that's certainly been made very popular when Captain Sullenberger was flying the airplane that needed to make a uncharacteristic landing on the Hudson River. He had split seconds to decide what to do, and it was a life and death decision in terms of his choices. And in a case like that, he had to do several things. One, he had to trust the training that he had had over the years. He had to trust the experience that he had over the years and also the instincts in the moment. 
And he was second-guessed after the fact a number of times by people wondering, did he really make the wisest decision? Did he make the right decision? In those moments, however, and he was a seasoned pilot, he had to trust that training experience and instincts, do what he thought was best. And as a result, he saved multiple lives and landed safely on the Hudson River. So for those few occasions when you are in those scenarios, remember you are in senior leadership because you have had a lot of experiences along the way. You have seen many scenarios in your life up to this point, and quickly you can come to a decision based on that fund of experience and knowledge and information that you have. I also like to share with my clients just some thoughts from a model that was put out by Vroom in Yetten in the early 1970s, and that was Victor Vroom and Philip Yetten. And they had a model that pertained to decision-making where you want to think about three different components, quality, acceptance, and time. And you want to think about them in this order. So first of all, you want to make a decision That is a quality decision. So clearly when it comes down to landing an airplane, a quality decision is one that preserves life first and then when possible, the equipment as well and doesn't harm anybody on the ground or property and so on and so forth. So you can make decisions that that cause a lot of destruction or that cause a lot of harm or that don't produce the kind of, let's say, business result in terms of profit or gain or don't get the customer the outcome that they're looking for. So we want a quality decision, number one, and you want to preserve that as the first thing you do. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. And then secondly, the second thing you preserve is acceptance. In other words, if I make this decision and decide in this way, how likely is it that people who need to implement it are actually going to follow through and implement it and do it in this way. And if you really need their acceptance, you need their implementation, because it's going to be their bodies doing the work, then you have to make sure that that decision is one that they will accept, will buy into, and actually will accomplish. So that's the second thing you preserve. The third thing you preserve is speed. In other words, you do the fastest thing you can do that, first of all, preserves the quality, so it's not a dumb decision, and secondly, that will be accepted and actually implemented. And so sometimes what's fastest might actually seem slow because it might take more effort to preserve quality and acceptance. So some leaders jump in there and just say, okay, I'm going to make a command decision, I'm going to do X, and they may not have all the information they need to make a quality decision. Maybe others in the organization have that information. So first of all, quality might not even be preserved. Then secondly, maybe it was a quality decision, but the people who have to do this work, they disagree with it. And they don't understand the reason for it. They didn't have a voice in participating in creating that decision. And so now you've got people sabotaging that decision and they're not carrying it out so it's not happening anyway. So you really haven't gained anything to go fast by suddenly making a command decision when in fact you might have needed to slow down to make sure you had the information necessary for quality and also the conversations that are necessary for acceptance. So when we think about that, 
there were at least about five different ways that Vroomin Yetin talked about that you could decide by. In one case, case number one, you would decide alone. Now, you would only decide alone if you already had the information that would say it's a quality decision. So maybe it's a simple problem. It's not that complex. And you already have that information right at your desk, right on your computer. And by deciding alone, you already know that acceptance is not an issue. In other words, nobody else has to implement this, so it doesn't matter. Or the people who do have to implement it, they trust your judgment and they want you to make this decision because it saves time for them and they will implement whatever you decide. So that's great. You can sit at your desk, put your feet up and decide alone in that case. Number two, what you're doing in number two is you're gathering information because you might not have all the information you need to make a quality decision. However, you're still deciding alone. In this case, I know what information I need to get and I'll also know where the information is. The information might be in a file cabinet, it might be in a certain file drawer, it may be resident in a specific person. I can go to that person or persons and get the information, but I'm still pretty much operating on my own. I'm going to the file cabinet, I'm going to the people necessary, I'm gathering the information, I'm still going back to my desk, and I'm still deciding alone, which implies that, number one, I've got the quality information I need to make a quality decision, and that this decision can be implemented and accepted because people will accept it, or it doesn't require them, their action. All right, so that's number two. Number three, now... I'm consulting with individuals about whatever the decision is. In this case, maybe I'm not so sure about all the information that I might need in order to make a quality decision. However, I do have some idea about who might have perspective on that. So let's say it's three people in my organization, and I know that they have some viewpoint that would be useful. So I go to them not just to extract numbers, data, information, and walk away, and they don't know why I've collected this information, but now I share the problem with them. I say, you know, here's the decision I'm really trying to make. I'm trying to decide if we should go down pathway A or pathway B, and here's what I'm thinking so far. And then they tell me, well, here are some of the advantages of pathway A, here are some disadvantages of pathway A, here are the advantages of B, and in reality, we think you might want to look at C. And as I interview all three people, I'm actually gaining perspectives that I didn't have before, and I'm still in a situation where acceptance is either already there in terms of implementation or it's not necessary. So with this consultation and the information I've gathered, and perhaps they've even referred me to a fourth or fifth person I should also consult, I can still go back to my desk and make the decision by myself. So that's number three. Number four, I'm now realizing that I may not even know who has the information that's important for making a quality decision. I might have to bring that whole team or group together And we might have to have a conversation. So when I bring the whole team and group together, I say to them, you know, I'm consulting you as a group because we need to decide whether we're going to take path A or path B. I'm still going to make that decision. So I'm making it clear they're not deciding that. I'm retaining the decision-making authority. However, I'm consulting them first. I want their input 
Because for one thing, I'm aware that I do need their buy-in. I do need their acceptance. I need their implementation for implementing whatever it is we're going to do. And I also know that they have information that relates to quality in this decision, such that if I don't hear from them, I could go away and make a, a decision that's a poor decision. So let's say after I consult with the group, get information from them, go away, and then decide alone in that case. That's the fourth approach. The fifth approach is I know that I don't have all the information. I know I need to bring it to the group. I know I need to bring it to the team. However, now I also know that their acceptance is huge. Maybe there's been a lot of bickering. I know that there's not agreement about what we should do and there are different viewpoints on it. However, I also know that each one of my people is really committed to the organization and to the goals of the organization. And they're as committed to the quality decision as I am and to acceptance as I am and also to working together so I can trust them to make a group decision. So when I bring it to them, I say, it's not just consultation. As a group, we are going to decide what to do. We're going to, by the process of consensus or whatever, come up with that final decision. Now, when it's a group decision, I might have some boundaries or some parameters. Maybe we are making an investment decision that has a dollar amount attached to it. I can say to them, here's the budget. And that may be part of the parameters um, that's assigned to the project. When I'm bringing it to the group, they know in advance that whatever decision they make collectively, I have just a voice in that and we're all deciding together. Now, what derails the process is if I'm doing a fake group decision <laughs> and a fake group decision is I come to them and say it's a group decision. And then when they come up with something that I don't like as the leader, I snatch it back and say, now I'm deciding. People don't trust you anymore after that. So if you've assessed that it should be a group decision, then that's what you stay with and let the group decision stand. Now, obviously, there are times to do each of these five approaches. And whatever you decide to do, sometimes deciding alone is the best in terms of preserving quality and acceptance and speed. Sometimes you have to go all the way down to that mutual group decision in order to preserve quality and acceptance. And it's the mutual decision that's really the fastest in terms of preserving those two. Each situation will be different. The time you would never use the mutual decision is if your people are not committed to the goals of the organization. It's okay if they may have disagreements amongst themselves, but if they're not in agreement with the goals and values of the organization, then as the leader, you want to use one of the other strategies that preserves both quality, acceptance, and then speed as the third variable. Fortunately, not all the decisions that we make really are life and death decisions, as I've said. In fact, most of them are not. So to avoid those extremes we mentioned at the beginning of analysis paralysis, where you hold the organization hostage, or the ready, fire, aim situation, where you cause your organization to spin out of control into chaos, I've laid out some tools today that you can use to really analyze the decisions that you make. You can preserve quality. You can preserve acceptance. You can preserve time. Go as fast as you can, as long as quality and acceptance 
are actually preserved. That's one model for getting there. You can also, in those really emergency situations, trust your training, trust your experience, and trust your instincts. You can also remember that what you choose to do today is based on the best information you have today, and you're making that best decision in good faith. Should you get new information tomorrow, you can change your mind and you can make adjustments. And then there are five ways you can make the decisions that preserve quality and acceptance. Either decide alone, get information and decide alone, consult with individuals and decide alone, consult with the group and decide alone, or consult with the group and have a mutual group decision where the group then decides. So there you have it. Lots of ways you could proceed, lots of ways you could go. And here's my challenge to you for this week. My challenge is take at least one or two of these tools, apply it to a decision that you have in the workplace. And remember, quality first, acceptance second, and time and speed, the last consideration. All right, have fun and let me know how it goes. And I'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.